Hey guys, welcome to 100% Creative, where we talk about 50% creative business and 50% random shit. My name is Jen Madigan, I'm your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Let's get to the show. All right. Welcome everybody to another episode of 100% Creative. I'm here with Dr. Amy Beasley and she is does DEI trainings and I'm going to let her introduce herself and explain a little bit about who she is, what she does and um, how she got into it. So Amy, welcome and go for it. Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be really fun. So my name is Dr. Amy Beasley, and I am a consultant for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, I love the work that I do. I always say that this is the best and hardest work I've ever done. It is challenging, and it's also incredibly personally fulfilling. Um, I I'm trained as a scientist, so therefore the doctor. I went back to school when I was 38 and finished a bachelor's and a PhD. And I'm an an environmental toxicologist and molecular geneticist by trade. And that's a lot of words to basically say scientist and not a DEI consultant. And so invariably people are like, how in the world did that happen? And what it really looks like is that my life and my work intersected. And we've always been a a welcoming family that um, I think really values diversity in our lives. We like lots of different kinds of people and love to have lots of different relationships. We certainly have been inclusive. We have a lot of diversity in our family and we have a strong heart for equity. And so when the opportunity came to merge science and people in a new way, I jumped on it. And so I started working with my company Dow at the time as our North America director for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the leader for that region. And then this year I've been on loan to our school system to help them develop a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy and implement it throughout the district. And as Dr. Amy, I consult. And so I do consulting work all over the place. And also one of my very favorite things to do is to consult with small business owners and creatives on how to make your business more inclusive, on how to think with an equity lens, and on how to make sure that you have the right voices at the table so that you value diversity. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like you have had such an interesting life and career path. Um, (laughs) So for people who maybe don't know what diversity, equity, and inclusion, like what all those mean, what it means collectively, um, why it's important. I mean, I think everyone knows kind of what diversity and inclusion are, but maybe not everyone knows what equity is as far as like in that scope of things, like the definition, what it looks like in a business format, that type of stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I may even go back and define diversity for us because I think sometimes we forget how rich diversity really is. So lots of times we think of diversity as your race or your ethnicity, your gender, maybe your gender identity or your sexual orientation. And then we kind of stop there and we forget that there are uh, hundreds of other variables that really define our diversity and give us dimension and, and make us uniquely who we are. So diversity, I think of as the collection of all the attributes or the characteristics or the experiences that make you uniquely you. And it's kind of a fact, like it just is. Inclusion though, um, inclusion is an interesting one because I think people think of inclusion as sort of um, 
a concept that lives out there somewhere in the cloud and maybe have a hard time knowing how to apply it to our lives. But inclusion is really just the decisions and the choices and the actions that we take every day. It's really a practice. So how do we value diversity in our lives? How do we ensure that everyone has the opportunity to belong? Equity, I think, is the the real glue that makes it all work. Um, Because you can have diversity, but people still don't feel like they belong. You can have inclusion, but that's pretty easy if everybody's all the same. Equity says we really want equal opportunity for everyone to thrive, for everyone to experience success, whatever that looks like for them. And equity is, is interesting because it's a little different than equality because equity says maybe the path or the tools or the support looks different to help me in my own uniqueness achieve, achieve and thrive. So that's, that is why we use, and, and you'll often see different people with different combinations of the letters or they value different things more than the others. They're all important. They all work together and you can't really separate them out. And I think why it's important is because when, you, when you're aware of diversity, equity, and inclusion, you are aware of the opportunity that that, that gives you as an asset, the richness that it brings to your life as a person, um, the opportunity that it brings to you as a business owner. And so thinking about it from a... I love to think about it as how can I how can I bring dimension into my life or my work, and how can I value the uniqueness of the dimension that already exists in my work? We we find too in the data that it shows over and over and over again in different contexts that the more diverse a team is, the more inclusive it is. Same thing in a classroom, any workplace, the better your work is the better your ideas are, the more innovative you are, and the more you enjoy doing what you do. So for me, it feels like just should be an integral part of who we are and what we do every day, part of our DNA. Yeah. So for someone who runs a small business, you, you said you like to work with small businesses as well as you're mm-hmm. do with schools. Like, what does that look like to work with you? Like if I came to you as a, you know, pretty much a single person in a, in a small business, how, how would you like some tips they would give someone like that who wants to add diversity, equity, and inclusion into their lives and businesses, but doesn't have like a team? Like, what does that look like on that side of things? Yeah, just as like a, a solo entrepreneur, mm-hmm. somebody who's doing their own gig, that's a that's a fantastic place to start because you have total control over how you build it into what you do, which is amazing. So you get to make choices, deliberate, thoughtful choices about how you include that and incorporate it. Um, so you get to move at your own pace and you get to um, dream big about what that can look like. I typically, work when I work with a small business owner, spend some time getting to know you, spend some time getting to know your business, what it looks like today, what it's looked like in the past, and what, what do you want it to look like in the future? We do, we do some um, envisioning of the parts of that that are a priority to you. So if you're super excited about parts of your business that you want to grow, 
or if you have some specific concerns about parts of your business. So a, a recent example would be a photographer I worked with who said, man, I'm looking at my Instagram feed and I feel like it all looks the same. And what would it look like to change that a little bit to reflect really what the, the kind of business that I want to see and the clients that I want to work with. And so we spent some time going through your business and your goals and your dreams for what it could look like. And then I go back and do an audit. And what that essentially means is that I pull it all apart and, and look at the pieces and the parts of what you're doing and who you are and find the places where we need to either make some changes, where we have opportunities to bring in diversity, inclusion, or equitable practices. We prioritize those things, and then I pull all of that together for you so you can make decisions about where you want to work next. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I definitely kind of understand where your client is coming from. I grew up in a very white, I guess is the right word, a very yeah. community. Yeah. I was going to say like, not very diverse, but it basically the truth is it was a very white city yeah. or town. And, you know, like, what would you say to someone who currently lives in a, in an area that's just not diverse at all is as far as yeah. racially diverse, obviously, like you said, diversity can encompass a million things from religion, uh, sexual orientation, all of those things. Mm-hmm. But speaking on just race, race, like what, how would someone incorporate or yeah, more diversity, more inclusion, more equity into their business or lives if they live in a very, you know, sort of whitewashed or not diverse community? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that applies to a lot of people. We, the town that I live in right now is, is not very diverse racially or ethnically. And we're always, Um, asking that question together about how do we do this the so there's one one thing that really is important to remember in this and that is let's focus on race race and ethnicity right now because it's important and that doesn't mean you're not focusing on anything else because if you make changes in your life or in your work to make it more racially or ethnically diverse lots of that work transfers over to other dimensions of diversity too. So if you think about maybe making a change to your Instagram feed, others who may not be racially diverse from you, they may also be white, but they may be LGBTQ. They may look at your feed and think she welcomes diverse clientele. Mm -hmm. And that feels like a, a welcoming and safe place for them to engage. So that gives us a lot of grace to make choices about what we do next. If you're in that space where it's not a very diverse town, but yet you want more diversity to show up in your business, in your work, you're never limited to the people that live down the street. Because we have opportunities to connect online, there are some ways that you can, both from a policy perspective and from a client perspective, build that diversity in. Mm. You can choose to partner with other folks online to do work together and collaborate. You can do some storytelling with folks that you know in other parts of the world. You can make some changes to your policies or practices, and you can talk about those. And then I think one of the most powerful ways is to authentically tell your own story, to say, hey, my name is Jen. I grew up in this town. Everybody I grew up with was white. 
And I am realizing how much I still have to learn and experience in the world. And here's how I'm going about it. Anybody out there with me? And so to be willing to be vulnerable and authentic in that way is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, so the, the trainings, the consulting that you do, is that something you were doing, you know, how long have you been doing it? I guess how um, many years have you been doing the consultant route? How, how did that like transformation from your science, you know, job into this, like how did that happen and, and how long ago was that? Yeah, I, I think I was doing this unofficially for a number of years before I knew what it was. I was, because we have such a diverse family, so I have biracial children, we have some different gender identities and sexual orientations represented, lots of the other dimensions in my family, and we're all just interesting I think my, all my people are interesting people. So I was doing a lot of consulting in more of like a relationship capacity. So friends of friends would come to me and say, how do I handle this situation? Or my children's school would call and say, we've had this incident happen. Can you meet with some students? And so it was happening regularly and sort of a pro bono off the cuff, you know, when needed sort of a way. And then about three and a half years ago, I started doing this much more intentionally and then as a profession. And so I was doing this as my, my many hour a week day job. And then on the side, still having some of those um, ad hoc conversations with folks around town. And finally, started consulting about a year ago, more, again, more intentionally in a more structured way. So does the the diversity, equity, and inclusion training also like discuss like anti-racism work or is that a totally separate thing? Oh, great question. I, you know, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is intentionally super broad, right? Because there are concepts there that apply to all different kinds of diversity. Inclusion matters across those dimensions. I mean, so it's super broad, right? But Right now, anti-racism is something that we all can and should be focused on. And so, again, it doesn't exclude us from focusing on anything else, but it does transfer to some of the other dimensions. And so you don't lose anything by focusing on anti-racism. So I, wouldn't, I would say rather than it being separate from DEI, because theoretically, DEI kind of is embedded in everything that we do. It's really more like, how do I move throughout the world? What's my mindset? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's part of that. It's just a specific focus mm-hmm. on one dimension. Right. So with your um, DEI uh, consulting work and all those things, what has been, you know, something that's been really challenging for you with that, within this training? And what's something that's been surprisingly um, well-received or, you know, Mm. that type of thing. Like what's (laughs) the, just trying to understand a little bit more about what it is you do, what your daily life looks like, what these trainings are like, and, and kind of the, the highs and the lows of it for someone who may be interested in, you know, branching out into either hiring someone to help them, or maybe they are interested in becoming a consultant themselves. Sure. So I think one of the biggest challenges in this work is that it is, um, there are maybe two, can I give you two? <laughs> two challenges. One is that um, there is no roadmap for any of this. And everything is complex. There are always 
variables. I'm a scientist, so everything is a variable. There are nuances, and people are people, man. We are messy. We are so messy. And so it's a super relational gig. It also requires some, it requires a ton of courage. So I am sort of, I have become the master of courageous conversation because because there's no other way. If you if you really want to do the work well, you have to be really brave. So there's that piece of it that says it is really complicated. And I think I said at the beginning, this is the hardest and best work I've ever done. It's really complex work to do it well. It, there is no formula. And by all means, it's not a checkbox or an equation that you just follow step by step. Um, I think the other challenge is that it is changing all the time. And so, and there's not really curriculum. There's not really, you know, same, same with the roadmap. It changes every day. This anti-racism work that we have been doing over the summer, um, we couldn't have planned for that opportunity. And I'm, I am so grieved that it took George Floyd's murder to move us to this sense of urgency. And I'm also so grateful that there is a new window, a new opening for us to have conversations that weren't possible before. So you have to be ready and positioned to move into a new space where, you know, change is happening all the time. So you've got to be super agile as well. So it's a challenge. That said, if you can hang, the work is incredible because you really do get to see businesses change. You get to see from a small business person's perspective, you get to see just this greater engagement and excitement about the work people are doing. They feel more connected and more of a sense of purpose with the work that they do. And then personally speaking, the growth that happens when, when you walk through those journeys with people, either in their work or in their life is profound. And what's really amazing is when you do that over time, we've been consistently pouring in and investing, you can see communities and towns and industries change. So the the opportunity for kind of purpose-driven work and seeing revolution is really exciting. Yeah. And I'm fired up now. (laughs) (laughs) That like got me like feeling a little teary. No, that was, I mean, it's so true though. Like the work that you do can only lead to good. It really, it really just, yeah. the only place it can go. Yeah. Even if the path is windy and messy and, and hard, it's, it leads to like the most amazing place. So yeah, yes. thank you so much for yes. all the work you do. <laughs> ah, um, and then something that you brought up in that um, moment was your courageous conversations. Um, and mm. I know something that you've talked about before, I've, you know, heard you talk about before. Um, in the group that we're in together, but just, you know, what does that look like? How, how can someone who is afraid of those types of conversations, how can they step into that and really, you know, empower themselves to have hard conversations and, and step into that mm-hmm. power? Oh, I like that you just said step into that power because it is, it is. So I, I constantly hear, well, you're just good at these. no. No, I'm not just naturally good at courageous conversations. I recognized a long time ago, even as a parent, that the most effective way to know my child 
and to for my child to know me was for us to step into a space of really vulnerable, truthful, um, hash it out conversations about all the things. And that is not different as a consultant or as a friend. Now that I'm, you know, my kids are grown. I, I firmly believe that courageous conversations and being able to do those really well and to maintain the trust and respect that has to happen around those is probably that and storytelling the most effective ways to make change happen in any context. Um, courageous conversations are a skill. They're a skill set. And yet I find that most of us are really apprehensive about them. And so I developed a workshop a few years ago where we not only learn how to do courageous conversations well, but we practice it with each other. And that is really the part that is, that is gold. You can learn the theory, but the practice is what's important. And so breaking down that, that really, you know, fearful, protective barrier that we carry against those correct, courageous conversations is important. And so then we, when we learn how to have those, we need space to practice them safely. And so when I teach courageous conversations, we do the workshop and then we also work in community over time together. So we have a, a group that um, talks through tough situations and we practice how to do that respectfully, truthfully, um, vulnerably together over time. And we get better. Um, we get better fast and we get braver out in the world as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Practice for sure. It's like, it's so interesting because we practice everything in life. It feels like, you know, mm-hmm. you how to ride a bike, how to write your name, how to like all of the things that we do as children, but we aren't taught how to you know, have these courageous conversations and talk about things right. that are difficult in a respectful you know, productive way. <laughs> so that's totally right on. And we expect ourselves to somehow be experts at that without any instruction or practice. It's something that could be pretty, pretty tricky sometimes. And yet the payoff is so huge. So it's worth the investment. So when you do the, the workshops for creative conversations, are you, or courageous conversations, are you still doing those now? Or is that something that you offered in the past, but aren't currently working? We are going to do those again in the fall. So it's, it's mid-August um, today, but we're going to do those um, starting in mid-September. And there, there are a couple of key things to think about there. There's courageous conversations in general, and then there are conversations about race. And for a white woman, those may or may not be the same thing. And so there may be some different things to think about, different skills that we may want to build if we specifically right now want to have conversations about race. And so I am going to do segments of both of those so we can, we can learn both generally and specifically and then practice both of those. I'm really interested in helping us as white women get comfortable with how we approach conversations about race before we start to have those conversations with our friends or our colleagues or our neighbors who are black, mainly because... Um, we we want to show that that we respect and understand how important those are, and we want to respect the relationship. So we got to do our own work. So both of those will be possible in the fall, and I'm excited about the growth I'm seeing, particularly in those conversations about race, because as we 
as we grow through that process, I'm finding that, that, that the relationships that are opening up and the understanding that is happening is incredible. Um, so highly recommend taking a minute to think about doing something like that for yourself. Yeah. Are those all practice or in the, are the courses they're offering in person or in zoom or like, how are those, um, considering it is coronavirus still and yeah, <laughs> you know, things are weird, but, uh, for someone who may be listening that lives in Iowa or Ohio or, you know, wh- how sure. do get involved. So I am running those virtually right now. And surprisingly, the connections have been really tight, even virtually. I think because we're all sort of living in that space together, it's not as awkward as you might expect it to be. So for now, we are doing all of that virtually over Zoom and then meeting in small groups also over Zoom to work together. And the best way to find that out is find me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Beasley. And, um, usually I go by Dr. Amy, so y'all are welcome to call me that. So so take a look there and we'll be running those in the fall. Oh yeah. Cool. And when does the registration for that open up just so people can kind of keep an eye out? That'll be early September. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right after Labor I'll, Day. I'll link her, your Instagram and all of that in the show notes so people can just click on over. Um, and then okay. if someone is a small business owner and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they listen to this and they like what you have to say and they're interested in, you know, working with you, is it the same? Just contact you via Instagram? Is Do you prefer email? Like what's, what's the best way? Are you accepting new clients? That type of stuff. I am. I've got space for five clients this fall. And what I would, what I would suggest is let's get together and do a quick phone call just to get the lay of the land, understand what we want to do moving forward, and then do the audit. And then from the audit, you get to decide then what's the path forward and we can devise what that might be. And uh, I will be excited to set that up with you. Yay. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. I feel like I just love listening to you talk and you have so much wisdom. Like, I just think you're incredible and I'm so glad I know you. And I feel like this is such a great, uh, interview and I hope people learned something about diversity, equity, and inclusion and what that consulting and training looks like. And yeah, Yeah. getting in on that courageous conversation workshop. That sounds amazing. Thanks for having me. And I hope that anybody who has been part of this podcast and gotten to listen to our conversation feels like this doesn't have to be conceptual and that it's accessible to everybody and um, we can all do this. We can all do it together. Totally. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pam. Thank you.